Welcome back to Abounding Love Podcast. Let's go ahead and jump right into our study today. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We finished up with chapter 8 on our last podcast, and today we'll, uh, we'll be going through the whole chapter of chapter 9. So, chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So here we see Paul has something in his heart, and it isn't good. He's breathing threats and murder. It's like nonstop for him. It comes natural to him like breathing. And this, these threats and this murder is aimed directly at the disciples of the Lord. So he goes to the high priest, and verse 2 says, and he asked letters from him to, to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Notice the capital W there in the word way. Who is the way? Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And who are the people of the way? They're the followers of Jesus. Notice also that it says men and women. You see, there were spiritually strong women in that day that were of the way as well. And Saul wanted to tie them all up and bring them back to Jerusalem. And I'm sure he wanted to do to them the same thing that had been done to Stephen that we studied about a couple podcasts ago. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, verse 3 says, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. So Paul's on this journey. He's on this path of destruction. And when he went to the high priest to get permission to gather up these believers, what city was he going to? He was going to Damascus. It says here that he came near to Damascus. You see, his course of destruction almost got him to his destination, but the Lord intervened. That happens in the lives of many people today. They're on a path of destruction. They've got something in their heart that's wrong. Maybe it's just the way they're living their natural life. Just every breath they take is not giving glory to God. It's just giving glory to themselves, and they're walking further and further away from God. But the Lord intervenes in Paul, in Saul's life here. He'll later become Paul, but he intervenes in Saul's life here when he's on this road to Damascus. He's almost there, his destination. But God in his grace, the Lord in his grace, steps in and intervenes. And the Lord was doing two things at once here. He was choosing Paul or Saul to become Paul and to serve him and he was at the last minute sparing the believers that were in Damascus from the evil that Saul had wanted to bring upon them. Then he fell to the ground, verse 4 says, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's course of destruction was directly targeted at Jesus. You see, when you harm a follower of Jesus, you are harming Jesus himself. We are his bride. He protects us. Sometimes he protects us by stirring us to move away when persecution comes, like we saw in Acts chapter 8. 
but other times he stops the persecution. Whatever it is, God is for us. The Lord is directing and leading and guiding us. He cares for us. Verse 5 says, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You see, a goad was a long, uh, very sharp stick that was used to get an ox to go in the way that the farmer wanted the ox to go when plowing. The farmer would jab the ox in the back legs until the ox would cooperate. In this verse here, Saul is the ox and Jesus is the farmer. Saul is, is dumb and stubborn, but he will also be very valuable to the master as a servant. Jesus will do the same thing in our lives today. He will direct us in the direction he wants us to go, and we can either submit, kick against what he's doing, and only increase our pain. Okay, so verse six says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Saul submits and his destination doesn't change. His reason for going has changed, but the destination is the same. We can choose our direction, but the Lord will direct our steps. Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Look at verse seven. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, it seems as if only Saul had seen the great light from heaven and that is why only his eyes were affected by it. The others simply heard a voice. But this event was so traumatic for Saul that he couldn't eat nor drink for three days. During these three days, I believe that all Saul had ever believed about God was being challenged. He was around during the earthly ministry of Jesus, and he knew of the death on the cross of Jesus as well. And now he was encountering the risen Lord in a personal way. For three days, while blind and not eating or drinking, Saul was dying to himself and would soon himself be risen from the dead in a spiritual sense. Verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Wow, just like that, Ananias hears the voice of the Lord in a vision and responds, here I am, Lord. He's ready, he's willing, and he's able, right? Well, he hasn't heard the details yet. Okay. Verse 11 says, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. So Saul, he walked a crooked path in life. 
a path of death and destruction. And now he is blind in a house on a street called Straight. God put him on a different path. His life is being profoundly changed and he is in prayer. And in a vision, verse 12 says, he has seen a man, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. You see, Saul is a newborn baby in Christ and he already has a vision from the Lord. And you out there, maybe you're new in Christ. Maybe you're a couple years old in Christ and that's it. You can still hear the voice of the Lord. His Holy Spirit indwells you. He can still give you visions. He can still speak to you in that still small voice. Just listen for his voice. Then Ananias in verse 13 answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he, or excuse me, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So this news about Saul coming to Damascus to bind people up and take them back to Jerusalem and, and, and persecute them, this news has already reached Damascus. And there's a little apprehension with Ananias, and rightfully so. Okay? Think, put yourself in Ananias' shoes. Verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel, vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So here we have it straight from the Lord's mouth, what Saul, soon to be Paul, was commissioned to do. He would speak the name of Jesus before Gentiles, kings, and the people of Israel. Verse 16, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, Saul was very high and mighty in his own mind, but now he has received a true high calling. He went to the high priest thinking he was on some sort of high, call, you know, high horse of his own, and he had a high calling. He was going to go and bound all the Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. But now he would go out with the name of the Lord on his lips instead, and his life would be filled with persecution as a result. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see a couple of different things here. For one, Ananias calls Saul brother. You see, Ananias fully accepts Saul in spite of what he knows about him. And another thing I see here is that Ananias showed extreme diligence in being obedient to the vision. He entered the house and laid hands on Saul. Knowing what he knew about Saul, this had to be very difficult for Ananias to carry out. If you knew that there was someone in town with the permission to kill Christians, and you were a Christian, would it be easy for you to approach that person? Now, one other thing I notice here. Ananias called him brother, but Paul still had to be full 
of the Holy Spirit, didn't he? He still had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that a little bit in our last podcast, but we see throughout the book of Acts that there is a subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit after one believes in Jesus. Verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Notice here that he goes immediately to the synagogue. He was trained by Gamaliel, who was a a member of the, uh, he was a a great teacher during that time. We'll talk a little bit more about him later. But um, Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin, and now he wants his fellow Jews to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He goes back to where he came from. How many of you, when you first got saved, wanted immediately to take the message of Jesus to your family and friends. But when you did, you found out that it wasn't well received. It seems as if your family sometimes wants to say, we know you. Who do you think you are? You grew up here. You were a snotty-nosed kid. (laughs) We know who you are. We know your background. Why are you coming here telling us about this Jesus like you've been changed and all this. Or maybe they don't say that. Maybe some just say things like, well, that's good for you, brother, or whatever, you know. But that's what Saul does here. He goes immediately back to where he came from to tell them the good news about Jesus. Verse 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So let me correct something that I said. He didn't go back to Jerusalem at that point to the synagogue. He went to the synagogue in Damascus. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Okay. Verse 23 says there, they've had enough. To them, this guy saw he's gone mad. He's, he's, a, he's a Jesus freak now. He's weird. Verse 21 says that they were amazed, but that didn't mean they were going to change. But that's what happens when you are cured of your blindness, your spiritual blindness. The scales fall off of your eyes, and all of a sudden you see. But others that haven't come to that place, family members or friends, they still have the scales on their eyes. And they're still kicking against the gold. But you must move on with the name of Jesus. It says in verse 24 that their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. You know, Saul, here he went back to the synagogues, happy. He had good news to share with the Jews. 
but they would not receive it as good news. And though he came in the front door excited, he would have to sneak out the back door fearing for his life. He wasn't being well received. And when Saul, in verse 26 says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Wow, he's not being received anywhere, is he? He goes back to the Jews in a synagogue. They want to kill him. Tries to join in with the rest of the Christians. They don't believe, they don't believe he's really been converted. But you got to understand the viciousness that Saul was known for. What if you saw an evil man, say some notorious person that's, uh, you know, does evil and wants to kill and maybe especially wants to kill Christians like an Osama bin Laden or somebody like that. Say he's on your street and he knocks on your door and he wants to, to tell you about Jesus and hands you a, a, a little Bible or something. And you peek out the window and you see it's Osama bin Laden. How would you receive him? That's what it was like here for these Christians, for these disciples, seeing Saul come. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You know, it's kind of cool here because do you know what the name Barnabas means? We, we talked about this before. He's a, he's a son of encouragement. He's a peacemaker. He, 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 he um, steps up on Saul's behalf here and brings him to the apostles, to the rest of the disciples, that is. Later, Paul and Barnabas will, will go their separate ways. Barnabas uh, wants to give Mark a second chance, and we'll study that when we give there, but Paul refuses. But for now, here's Barnabas standing up for Saul, and we're going to see it again as we study through the book of Acts, uh, where Barnabas, you know, goes and finds Saul in Tarsus and and uh, brings him to Antioch. You know, Barnabas looked out for the well-being of Saul. God put Barnabas in Saul Saul's life for that purpose. So he was with him at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Verse twenty-eight says. And verse 29 says, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Remember who the Hellenists were? Remember we talked about that? They were the Jews that held to the Greek culture and the Hebrews were the Jews that held to tradition. Saul here is still staying focused on convincing the Jews of who Jesus really is. Finally, the other disciples say, you got to get out of here or you're going to end up dead. And they sent him off to Tarsus, Gentile country. So back in verse six, Saul spoke the words, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then in verse 16, the Lord said that Saul was going to suffer for his name's sake. 
Now Saul is on a ship to Tarsus where he will spend a number of years being refined by the Lord. Maybe you can relate to Saul here. Maybe you thought you had it all figured out. You knew your calling and you were sure of what you were to do. The Lord told Ananias that Saul would go to the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. But we don't have record of him telling that to Saul. Maybe Saul had it all wrong at this point. His ministry to the Jews brought no peace in the area. All he did was bring unrest. Does this mean he wasn't called? No, he would go on to be the most important preacher of all time besides Jesus. He would turn the world upside down, but before that, he had to be refined. He sat in Tarsus for what they say was seven to ten years, and at this point, the book of Acts will now become focused on Peter. Saul slash Paul is out of the picture for now. Pick him up later as we continue through the book of Acts. But I say all that to say when setback comes in your life, maybe through persecution, maybe through, you know, loss of a job, you know, lost, you lost your employment or something tragic happened in your life and it's a setback for you. Know that the Lord is still with you. Know that he is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Don't be discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus and press on. Okay, let's move on. Verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had Peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So as we've studied through the book of Acts here, it seems as if the church was growing. It was edified and comforted at one point, and then Saul comes into the picture. He's radically saved, but he's sent away, and then the peace comes back. Edification and comfort, it all comes back. You see, Saul was a newborn believer that burst onto the scene, but he wasn't ready for what the Lord had prepared for him quite yet. He had some flesh that needed to be cut away, like we all do, before he could be used in an edifying way. But you know, it's only the Lord that can do this work in our hearts. And it's only the Lord that knows his perfect will. And his perfect will is done in his perfect timing in our lives. But now in verse 32, the scene will shift. Now I'm going to begin to look at Peter. Verse 32, now it came to pass as Peter went through all the parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Lida, however you want to pronounce that. It would be easy to skip over this verse right here. But I think it's important to point out that Peter is on the go. By being active for the Lord, he is making himself available for opportunities 
that may arise. You know, there are people all over out there that need to know about Jesus. And if you know Jesus, but you're just sitting still, you're not on the move, then you'll never be able to be used by the Holy Spirit in the lives of others. If you're keeping Jesus hidden, you're not making him known, and you're not going to see these opportunities open up that we saw in the early church, the moving of the Holy Spirit. Peter was on the move and he found opportunity. It says in verse 33, there he found a certain man named Ananias who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and were and turned to the Lord. You know, we talked about this when we studied Acts uh, chapter 1. But here we see salvations following uh, miracles and healings. See, the result of Ananias being healed was many people were turning to the Lord. Verse 36 says, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So this is awesome. Can you imagine your name enshrined in the pages of Scripture for being full of good works and charitable deeds? The body of Christ could use a lot more people like Dorcas and I believe there are many people out there like her. Verse 37 says, But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So these widows gather around Peter to express to, them, to him just how important Dorcas was to them. They were showing him all the things that, that she had made for them. The life of Dorcas had a great impact on others. She was a wonderful woman of God. But now she's gone. And verse 40 says, But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. A tanner. Here again, we see miracle leading to salvation. You know, Dorcas knew the Lord, but all around us there are people lying spiritually dead 
because they don't know Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ had an impact on this world that will forever remain. And it had an impact on our lives as believers because that's why we are believers. We don't serve a dead Savior. But here we see one woman being resurrected from the dead. And it impacted a vast number of people. And in a spiritual sense, when we come to Christ, we can impact others around us. And when you lead someone to Christ, they impact others around them. Like Peter, we need to be on the move and available for the work of the Lord. We never know the impact we can have until we step out and begin to do. Dorcas impacted people in a practical way. She made clothing for people. How can you serve the Lord today in a practical way? You have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities. You're able to do something for somebody in the name of the Lord. Like Dorcas, very practical. She made clothing for people and it impacted their lives. Not just the clothing itself. She was a woman of God. But you out there, whether male or female, you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Take him in a practical way to the people around you. Take his love to them. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our counselor. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us as your people. And I pray for anyone listening that has not surrendered their lives to you. They have not yet repented and turned from their own ways and turned to the living God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would renew their minds, that you would, just like the Ethiopian man that we studied about, was reading your word and wondering who you were, Lord. I pray that those out there that don't know you, Lord, will read your word to find out who you are and come to the knowledge of you. But as believers in your name, we pray, Lord, that you would empower us to do your will in this world, in your timing, in your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. May God bless you.